Hi everyone and welcome back to the Pyramid Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show. Really great to be with you all again. And uh, yeah, we have a new guest this week. Um, it's National Grief Awareness Week this week. Uh, and as regular listeners will know, this is something we talk about a lot on the show, grief. Uh, with my experiences of grief and realizing how important grief is and how important it is we process grief well i think it's important to talk about grief as much as we can and talk about death and talk about how you process trauma and we try to do that on this show so um to this week i've got um a new guest called uh, vicky mccrory on the show uh who is a co-host of a of a podcast of the recovering god podcast uh she's a deputy church warden as well uh, and works for a non-profit organisation called Atalos, Atalos Charity, and uh, that works with bereaved people and offers them support. So, you know, um, Vicky has a lot of experience um, in this area and some life experience as well. Um, before we get started, I will say there's going to be trigger warnings today about you know, loss of um, loss of um, uh, husband, loss of. Uh, and suicide as well there'll be some triggers around that if that's not for you um just want to give you fair warning um before we really get going so um yeah so welcome vicky it's great to have you on the show thank you it's lovely to be here yeah um we've been following each other for quite a while um but um yeah i'm really glad you're here now uh and obviously you've got quite a lot to share on on you know the, the topic of grief and loss and and things, so just tell us a bit of your story. Well, I um <clears throat> I lost my husband very suddenly in twenty seventeen. He went in for a in a, in for a routine operation, and um he wasn't planning on having general anaesthetic, but they needed to give it him. And when he had the general anaesthetic, he had a massive heart attack and he never recovered. And so I went from one minute literally laughing and joking with him and then an hour later he'd gone. And that just upended my whole world, basically. Mm. You know, literally within the space of an hour. Um, and at those moments, everything comes to you at once. Like it all comes rushing at once. Um, and I had no idea what to do. Um, and what happened was I phoned my friend who had lost her husband a few uh, maybe five years before or something like that and I said I was still in the hospital and I said John's died and she said you are gonna be okay I know it doesn't feel like that but I'll ring you in a few days time um and she gave me support and she signposted me to the to to widowed young support run by care for the family um and so I was able to get support but what I hadn't appreciated was she had started a charity called at a loss and which signposts bereaved people to support because when her husband died she realized that nobody told her what to do or where to go or how to get help and so what she so yeah right you're nodding because you know no, what it's there's like. no like handbook you know for, yeah. for loss or grief you know like when my mother died you know 20 23 23 years ago there was no handbook there's no the other thing is every grief experience is different so there couldn't be a handbook because because it's different for everyone and everyone experiences it differently absolutely yeah 
Yeah. So her idea was to get a website together where all the information could be and where people could go on and they could find local support in their area as well as the big national charities that do it. And so that's what she's been doing since 20, 2017, I think. Yeah, that's what she's been doing. Um, and I started working for her about a year or so after John died, just doing bits and bobs just to get me back into work because John was a meat wholesaler and I was his PA. So when he died, I lost my job as well. Um, <clears throat> so she actually got me back into work and then I went and did a few things and then I've come back to work for um, her again. And sadly, a year and a half after my husband died, my sister died by suicide. Um, and again, it was... I it, like I describe having losing John as like being kneecapped and then just recovering mm. and then it happening again. Um, I can't imagine how awful, how awful that would have been. Yeah, and I'm yeah, I'm obviously so so sorry um, for your losses. It's yeah, it's um, awful thing to go through. I mean, it's bad enough to go through the loss of one relative to go through two in the space of a year. Um, you know, I mean, I've I've had extended family who've been through that um, recently, and it's it's horrible. Um, and yeah, I mean, how did that? How did that? How did you? I mean, is there anything that I mean? There's only a year between them. Was there anything that you kind of learned from losing your husband that helped you when your sister um, passed away? Yeah, weirdly, it did in that. <clears throat> this might sound a bit strange, but I'd survived. Like the worst thing that could possibly happen, and that I would, you know, mm. you know, John dying was literally. And I used to, I did when he was awake. I used to wonder what happens if he dies. Like that's it, it's over. And so weirdly, I kind of knew that I could survive it in a way. Mm. Um, and I knew I just had to wait it out. Like I just had to go with the flow, almost, which was really hard. Um, but yeah, I just felt like if I can just go with whatever comes and let the waves cut, you know, waves of grief come when they come. And I mean, in a way, I was still processing John. So I kind of had to just let it go. And 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 I, in a way, I'm still processing my sister's death because I was still processing John's, if you know what I mean. So it kind of it's been a bit delayed. It's been a bit of a delayed grief. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what? In a way, I kind of just i i was a bit more prepared in a strange way. Yeah, I understand that. I, I yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, you know, my my dad is getting older, and um, you know, we're not sure how long he's going to last. Uh, you know, I don't know, it could be a year, it could be two years, but um, so we're kind of me and my sister are already doing our kind of, you know, the grief before the grief thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pre-bereavement grief. Yeah, 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 and yeah. all the lessons that we learned from losing mum, uh, they're they're coming to they're coming to the fore. You know, where mm-hmm. I can see it in my sister, and I can see it in myself that we're, we're mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to get everything in order so that once it happens, we don't have to spend too much time doing logistical things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we can actually get on yeah. grief properly because, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I, I know myself well enough to know that how I can react to those things, and mm-hmm. uh, I have people around me already who, who know me well enough to know that what I can do and can help me process that. 
Mm-hmm. But I also know enough now to know that I need to process my grief. I need to not bottle it up. And that's, so I'm in a much better position. Obviously, it's going to be still be awful because mm-hmm. even yeah. if you know it's coming, it's never, <coughs> it's, it's, you, it's not easier. Never, no, it's it's not as tragic, potentially. It doesn't, it doesn't make it easier. It's not a shock. It's not a surprise, yeah, but it's still yeah. really, really difficult. Yeah, it's still yeah. devastating, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, with my mum, we didn't know she was, it wasn't expected, like the timing wasn't expected. We knew mm-hmm. that she would probably end up dying of asthma at some point. Mm-hmm. And because she had really bad asthma and she had a lot of attacks, mm-hmm. but we didn't think it would be then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing at all. Um, so what, what kind of practices did you find got you through um the loss of your of, of your husband and your and your sister i think <clears throat> with um yeah john was an interesting one because it was so huge and it just enveloped everything that for a while i couldn't really do anything like i i remember just pacing up and down because i was i was almost like waiting for the grief to hit me yeah like nothing was coming, like nothing was happening. It was weeks and weeks, and I was just pacing up and down the living room, up and down, up and down. And you know, when I look back on it now, I would say honestly, for about a year, I was probably in shock for about a whole year. Um, and it, you know, and it really got tough. That f- I remember around the anniversary, the first year anniversary, I had the most insane jaw ache, and I went to the, ho- I went to doctors, I went to dentists. No one could work out what it was. Until I was in the back in the dentist chair after being in there three times, being to the doctor twice, sent back to the um, dentist, and um, she suddenly said, "Is there anything going on in your life?" And I said, "Yeah, it's coming up to my husband's first anniversary of his death." And she went, "That's what it is. This isn't dental pain. This is emotional pain that's coming out." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, what do I have to do?" And so what she said, "Well, you you do whatever within reason it takes to stop it." And the only thing that stopped it was sitting down. on. The, I couldn't even watch TV. Like, anything was just... I remember being in church and nearly fainting. The pain was that bad. I couldn't do anything. Couldn't sit anywhere. I just had to sit. And actually, the only thing that helped me was weirdly the... Have you ever heard of the Ignatian... Um, I have. Uh, yeah, the Ignatian exercises well, I've, I've, and the contemplation. That was the only thing I could do. Yeah, I, I found those very useful as well. Yeah, right. That was the, that was the one thing that lessened the pain. Um, <clears throat> and from that, I kind of learned to listen to my body a little bit and listen to what I needed. And I know it's really hard, isn't it? Because there's so much going on all the time, right? Um, but so when it when when Paula did die, I kind of had to do a bit of that as well. I'd kind of learnt just to let it when it comes. If you're in appropriate, you know, place and you're safe, to let the emotion come out because if it doesn't come out, then that's where people get in trouble and you know, suppressed grief is dangerous, a scourge on society. If I'm honest, yeah, um, it is. It is. Uh, I well, yeah. I mean, I, I I I buried a lot of my grief to start with. I didn't cry for two weeks. After my mother died, uh, because I was just trying to be strong for everyone else, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that thing about your body um, uh, and your jaw and that that resonates a lot because I 
I've done a lot of embodiment work in the last three or four years and mm-hmm. really learned to have a relationship with my body and listen to, to him and um, communicate with him well. And, you know, um, and as I've done that, I've realized that, yeah, grief is actually like stored up in our bodies in a way. Like in it, and our bodies, sometimes our bodies is trying to tell us something, you know, and it's not like you say, it wasn't anything wrong with your with your teeth or your mouth or anything it was just your body was like i've got this stuff in me that we need to we need to get this out of out of the body you know um and uh it's interesting that that's why i think embodiment work is really really important for helping deal with trauma because it listening to your body then you're able to understand what's going on and deal with it like now I, mm-hmm. I do this thing called internal family systems therapy and part of that is listening to your body and engaging mm, yeah. with trauma wounds in your in in your brain you know? yes yeah yeah well i have bere- i've had bereavement therapy since yeah i think three months i think three months after john died and i've continued having it this whole time i've been how many years now seven seven and a half well almost eight years since john died and i've had it wow almost every two weeks um and the first couple of months I spent talking about my mom who died 15 years ago and I was like what is this about Mm. John's just died here I am talking about my mom but it's like I couldn't get through what had gone on I couldn't get through I had to get through that before I could start talking about John and and that's the beauty of therapy, isn't it? It mm. unlocks things that we would never think about. Um, we think we've buried, we've dealt with, whatever. Yep. <clears throat> and then suddenly it's like the reason why this isn't happening is because actually you need to go back a step or you need to look here or you need to open that cupboard or you need to talk to the, the little girl that you were, <laughs> right? Or the little person oh. that you were when you were little and you had that experience. And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um yeah, and there's I think there's always things that we can we need to process. No matter how like there's no kind of destination when it comes to therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, anyway, mm-hmm. this is just my experience. But that there's always you know because we're always going through things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like all the time, you know, we 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 store up trauma from all sorts of things uh, and grief from all sorts of things like when you lose a job or when you have to change jobs mm-hmm. from a job that you love mm-hmm. yep. you know all the people there and you have to go and it's that's that's painful that's a that's a that's a a loss uh, mm-hmm. when a relationship ends for any reason that has meant a lot to you then that's a loss um those things are all important um, and of course, when you watch the news all the time and you see what's happening in the world, that's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially right now, it's really traumatic for a lot of people, and that's valid. You know, I realized I had, I realized recently I had unprocessed trauma from watching nine eleven happen live on TV, the mm-hmm. whole thing yep. from start to finish, mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't realize that. And I was like, how could I? Why would I be? I only saw it on TV. I wasn't there didn't have anyone didn't know anyone affected by it why would you know but then i kind of like okay yeah it was a traumatic experience it was one of the worst things that's ever happened like in in you know uh, one of the most terrible things that's happened uh and it was also it was um only a year after my mother had passed away 
mm-hmm. and it was quite close to her birthday because mm-hmm. she was the 16th of September. It's her birthday. So, of course, I had, there would have been that, that would have come up as well. Um, <coughs> well, grief pings off grief. Yeah, absolutely. So they ping off each other. So that's what we saw with the Queen's death. People weren't necessarily mourning the Queen. They were, but they were also then pinging. It was pinging off their own griefs. And that's what the people in the queue said. You know, the chaplains in the queue and who were talking to people were saying it's reminding them of when their mom died or their grand died or that, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what, that's what happens. That's why, you know, when we have these big civil Hmm. occasions, it is emotional. You know, I know I never met the Queen. Never. I think I saw her from a distance, fleeting once. Yeah, me too. But it, I suddenly found myself really like, oh my gosh! And then I was like, oh, yeah, a minute. I, yeah. I was quite sad. I didn't. Yeah. Um, I think she was everyone's grandmother in, mm-hmm. in the UK. You know, um, even if you're not a royalist, like I think everyone had some kind of affection for her because mm-hmm. she's always been there. Yeah, it's a constant, and she reminded us that things aren't constant, and we don't like that. Yeah, and I think, I remember with Princess Diana's death, um, that there was a massive outpouring of grief mm. as well. And I, Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, and I think what happens is when you get these culturally sanctioned moments where you're allowed to grieve, a lot of grief a lot of yeah. other things comes out. Absolutely, yeah. Because our, Absolutely. Our culture is not a set up to process grief very no, well. We exactly. We don't have, we don't have um, grief rituals like in our culture. We don't, yeah. You know, it's yeah. not kind of. It's seen as like this thing. You get two weeks off to whatever do, mm. and that's it. And you're yeah. meant to be okay, and that's not. Like yes. This. Yeah. Um. You know. And now we have people not wanting funerals, so there's no place to be sad. Yeah, I mean that. And that's, I can't, yeah, I can't. my dad didn't want a funeral when he died yeah. and I tell you what I struggled with it so much I really did yes we had a party that he wanted us to have and I'm happy about that but I needed to be sad about it yeah and I know I needed to be sad about it because yeah. his birthday's coming up and I can feel the grief is too raw yeah. and it shouldn't be anymore and it's because I haven't really had a place to put my sadness I, I think you know, I've, all, I've got this theory that funerals are really aren't for the Aren't for the dead person. They're for no, people that no. have lost them. They're 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 yes. They're the places to grieve. They're not. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean. I think it's yeah, definitely. We need we yeah. need those. They don't. Need yes, they don't need. No, exactly. And people say, oh, but funerals are so expensive. But they're actually not that expensive. Not like the church, if you go to a church and have a church funeral, it's actually not that expensive. It's all the added extras that they're the yeah, expensive exactly. bits. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah um, and I think it's okay for there is a kind of a a new kind of thing that people want to have a party and celebrate life Mm -hmm. when somebody's died and I get that and that's that that can be a good thing but I think there has to be also a space for people to grieve absolutely yeah definitely you can have both Um, you can I think because people need need that space you know yeah yeah I know when I I'm I'm going to make sure that I'm going to plan ahead so that when I die, people have to. Oh yeah, me. Yeah, I've written it into my will. Yeah, I'm going to. Put, this is when what I make a will. I'm going to put it in my will that that, yeah, that yeah. you have to. Do. This is this is all going to. Happen. I'm I'm going to be really meticulous about it as well. So um, <laughs> yeah. because just because I think I, I think we need to. know it's okay to grieve. 
Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And it's okay to ask for help, regardless of how long ago the death was. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we run um, a course called The Bereavement Journey, um, and we have people come on there who've, it's like, we had a lady on who'd lost her brother to suicide 36 years ago, and she said, I finally, I finally got support for it. I mean, 36 years. Yeah. And- right? It's, it's, a, it's a lot, but you can still deal with things. You know what I mean? You can still get support for for losses that were decades and decades ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, um, because, yeah, there's no timeline for grief. No. no. That's why I don't believe in this kind of five-step process of yeah. grief. You know, like you do all yes. these things, you go through all these stages, and then you're okay. That, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't work like that. Anyone experienced grief knows that that's a lot of rubbish. Yeah, I always say grief waits for you. Yeah. Like for me, I feel poorly in the if I feel like, oh, I'm going to have a wobble in the morning, but I don't give it space, it'll wait until I'm back in the door and it's quiet. Yes. <laughs> and then it'll come. And you could, But you could do that for years. You could spend years doing that, avoiding it, avoiding it, avoiding it, and then and then it'll come. Yeah, and the problem with avoiding it is it, grief can then control you. And yeah. Like grief, I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I'm probably going to write about it a bit more soon that grief can be weaponized in our culture yeah. oh, very yeah. easily um well it can be turned into different things yeah, can't it can it? be turned into hatred anger yeah anger violence it's dangerous because it can mm-hmm. yeah i mean it can be i mean it can divide families yeah very much so like, you know it can but it, that, that's that I mean, that's not small, but inter- but it can go from that to impacting elections. Yeah, you know, I'm, yep. I'm convinced that what happened in America and the UK in 2016 is part is was related to that was weaponized grief more on a cultural level rather than a on a national level rather than an individual level. But it was, yeah, because people, there was so much anger like around, yeah. and that's where that comes from a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, I agree. Um, have you have you have you found that doing the work that you do has been part of the healing process? Yeah, I think it has. In that, I know that I'm. I know what the people who are using our service are going through, and I know what they are looking for. So, for instance, I upload all the services that we have on the website and I try and make sure that the information is clear because when you're bereaved, you you can't be looking through people's websites and trying to find the information. You, you haven't got the mind for that, right? Yeah. So I try and make sure the information is clear, you know, they can find it easily and it's cor- accurate because the last thing you want is someone clicking on a link, it going somewhere and, and then they've got to go back to the start, right? Because it's not what they wanted, or the web, the link's broken, or mm. whatever. Um, and so I think, although I'm a little bit, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an executive assistant, so I'm not dealing with bereaved people twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. I am, I am more doing admin and website stuff. I can still, I still know that I'm helping people by helping them find the support they need. Yeah, that's no, yeah, that's that must be. That that I found that supporting friends of mine who are going through you know grieving um has been quite therapeutic um and writing about it 
Mm. I'm making podcasts about it, telling my story on my podcast. Um, and I don't know how those things help people because I don't always get feedback. But I, but I know that doing that helps me because it feels like I'm doing something with what I've gone through. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. not wasted. Yeah. No. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the what are the biggest lessons that you've learned through your experiences of grief? I think the biggest overall lesson from all of it <clears throat> is that things aren't black and white. Things are not black and white, and we don't, you know, there's 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 every everywhere is a grey area. In everything, there is a grey area. Like, I used to think the world was this way and that way, then John died and suddenly it's all turned on its head. And the same with my sister. You know, I saw things one way, then she died, and then I saw things totally different. And, you know, in a way it's been a blessing that I've been able to see things differently and I haven't been trapped in those mindsets. Because the thing is, when John died, my whole world fell apart, literally. And I had to see things differently because it just didn't, life didn't work the way it did before. Mm. And now I have a lot more compassion for people. I can see different people's points of views, which I never could before. And I, I, I have a, like, a, I'm more empathetic with people who are hurting, mm. you know, and I, and I give people a lot more grace than I used to do. I was actually quite harsh um and quite judgmental as well i'm i still am judgmental i'm not saying i've got that sorted um <laughs> i think that's a lifetime thing yeah. but yeah i i just think you know we have to take people as individuals we've got to and one thing that's for one person might not be for another person yeah i think that's the biggest lesson yeah that's a great lesson I and mean, that's i've learned a similar lesson actually that um, it does change everything, doesn't it? It does change yeah. how you see the world. Like I, yeah, I think yeah. one of the things that my sister and I both, I think, learned through grief was there were some things that, you know, when those things haven't happened, you think are important and worth getting annoyed about. And after they've happened, you realise, you know what? Yeah. It's not worth getting annoyed about that kind of thing. Yeah, or, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. it just, there's a kind of loosening, I think. Um, yeah. Like for me, I'm able to find joy in, even if things aren't going well, I'm more grateful for mm -hmm. the good things yeah. when they come along. Yeah. Um, and I'm able to sit in them more and feel mm -hmm. more deeply. Yeah. Um, than I used to because I guess I just developed this appreciation of how yeah you I think how fragile life is absolutely yeah I know that in half a second it could all change yeah the whole thing could just turn upside down in our beat so every morning I'm like okay I get to live again lots of people don't wake up I've I've woken up, so let's do this. Yeah, I saw a documentary about grief where they interviewed a lot of people who'd lost loved ones, and one of the one of the one of the people in the documentary said that his approach to life now is that this could be my last day. Mm -hmm. I'm dying tomorrow, so that's I'm gonna 
I'm going to live and treat everybody as if that is the case. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be yeah. honest with people. I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to tell people what I think. I'm going to. I'm not going to hold anything back. Um, yeah. Because I'm dying tomorrow, right? And he does yeah. that every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I, I kind of loved that. Like it's. Yeah. It's like you know he just because he absolutely realizes like how. How like it doesn't take he doesn't take any day for granted at all. Exactly. Yeah. I often think if I've got a big decision to make in the day, I think if I died tomorrow, would I be happy with the decision I've made? Yeah. <laughs> like, and then I think no or yes, and then I'll make the decision based on that. Yeah. Like, if it was my last day, would I choose it? And why wouldn't I now? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Or when you yeah, like when you well, if you're going to say no to something, you say, "Am I going to regret this if I die tomorrow?" Yeah, exactly. Or especially, I think with especially possibly John, it made me want to have experiences. Right. Like I suddenly wanted to experience things that I never had done. Because it's like, well, I'm still alive. I have the opportunity. Let's go and experience some things. Yeah. So it's like, oh, what have I never, oh, what have I always wanted to do? Let's go and do it within reason, obviously, and within monetary Yes. confinements and all that kind of stuff but within reason I was able to do some of those things and now if I get an opportunity I, I have to have a really good reason in my head to say no especially if it's something I've never done so what things have you experienced that you wouldn't have experienced otherwise Because well a lot of meeting different people going to different places I've been travelling I went to Rome on my own which was, seemed crazy and some people were like why are you going on your own because um, you're just a, you're, now, you know, you're a widow you're travelling on your own um, but I had the best time and even at one point during it I was like I had a wobble I was like why am I doing this like this is crazy like <laughs> but actually I had the best time there and I, I loved it I went to Ireland I went to Switzerland I've been all I've been a, I went around a little bit. Um, sadly, the funds have run out for that. <clears throat> but if I get opportunities to go places, I really try and take them. That's fantastic. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I think I when in my thirties um, when I was when I was you know single a lot. I I travelled a lot in my thirties and my early forties because I because I uh, I, mean, I suppose that was probably partly because of what I'd been through. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to wait for, I wasn't going to wait to have a partner to do any of those things. I was just going to do them. And I started, I think I started, as I started to process my grief, I I was more able to take risks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was a little pattern that started emerging because I'd never been a risk taker. Mm-hmm. And the more work I did on my grief, the more I was able to, to jump. Um, yeah. And then once you do it once, you get a, you get a feel for it and you start to enjoy it. And yeah. Uh, and that's yeah, kind of how I got where I am now. So it's, it's uh, yeah, that's definitely, a, that's definitely a, a good lesson. Um, yeah. You definitely feel more grateful for what you have. That's for sure. Um, so I guess if there's one, if there's something you wanted to, a lesson that you want to pass on to somebody else, especially that's you know it's grief awareness week. Um, maybe people who are new to grief, um, who have just lost somebody, um, who are just on this beginning of this journey. What would you want to say to them? I would want to say that <clears throat> there is a future for you, although it doesn't feel like it right now. 
and that you, you will grow around this. It won't go away, but you will learn to live with this somehow and to let the waves of grief come when they come. Don't bury it, but get support. There's, there is there is genuinely a lot of support out there. You just need to know where to find it. Um, and if you get a knockback from one place, try a few others. I know when I was looking for my bereavement therapist, I tried about seven people and she was the only one who got back to me. But thank God she did, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there is there is support out there. And, and also, don't feel... Um, don't feel weird about what support you might need some people need therapy okay that's great some people don't some people just need to talk in a room with some other bereaved people and that's okay too peer support can do wonders for about grief like it's not lesser than counseling Um, and there's lots of bereavement cafes bereavement groups you know there's help available yeah that's very wise advice. Um, I've I've said it on this podcast many times. You know, you just need to talk about it. You need to process it. Mm-hmm. You need to get it out of your body and not bury it, not not ignore it, and not numb it, not you know, um, not try and cover up, cover it up. It's okay to grief. Yeah. It's, um, I had somebody on the show who wrote a book called Permission to Grief. And I, that's a great phrase, you know. You have permission to grieve. It's okay to yeah. grieve. You don't have to have it all together um, after a month or a week or mm. a year. You, you don't. Right. And uh, you just have to just do the work. And and you know, you're not alone. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So many people have lost loved ones. Yeah. Well, we we will all be bereaved at some yes, point. Exactly. Everyone like. Everyone. We've all experienced some kind of loss, even if we've not lost a loved one. And mm. yeah, I just <coughs> Yeah. And just yeah, and journaling is another thing, actually, that I I always say as well, because that's another mm. way of processing your emotions mm-hmm. it's really yeah. healthy. And yeah. nobody ever has to see it but you. No, exactly. Like you're the you're not even writing it for anybody else, you're writing it for yourself mm. anyway. So And you don't have to keep it. And it's not wrong to throw it away. Burn it, throw it away. Exactly. Yeah, some people do that. It's like a therapeutic thing. I know people Mm -hmm. that have written Mm -hmm. journals and then just burnt them because they want to send that energy out away. And that's yeah. There's no kind of as long as it's within obviously within moral and ethical, you know, boundary and legal boundaries. um, Then it's then there's there's you know you can grieve how you need to grieve. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. So where can people find this charity that you, you work for? Well, if they log on to www.atalos.org, um, they can find, they can use search filters and they can search by who they've lost, their age, what type of support they need and their location. Fantastic. I highly recommend that to everybody. Um, and if that doesn't work for you, though, there's loads of other places as well where you can get support with your grief. Um, and, yeah. Um, just know that you're not alone um, and um, you will survive this. You will get through it, I think, as, as Vicky said. Um, yeah. So thank you, Vicky, for coming on the show. Thank you. And sharing your story. Um, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>